All right. Well, we know COVID is surging. Is everybody hearing that? Hello. COVID is surging. Deanna has got two family members that are in pretty bad condition in the hospital. Anybody else have anybody in the hospital in in bad condition? Okay. Okay. So uh, y'all be on your hands and knees over the COVID crisis because it seems to be picking up again. Um, We are ready uh, to do what we have said. We we, we had deacons meeting uh, this past Sunday evening and we uh, went over our policy again on what we would do for COVID, and it still stands. Everybody was in agreement 100% on that. If we have 10 positive tests, okay, not exposures, but 10 positive tests, we will go back to, we will quarantine the church, go back to live feed for two weeks, and just see how many more we have. Active, right? Active, Not over the span exactly, of time. Active. And then, then we will see how things go those two weeks, and then we'll decide what to do, okay? And we got to take this stuff seriously, because, I mean, we, you got, I mean, I mean, as you well know, we had two men that, that, that was in the hospital for, for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks with this stuff. So we, we try to take it seriously because yeah, we love scary. you, and we don't want to, as Paul would say, it's better off for me to be where? With the Lord. In heaven, but, I, but for you, it's better off for me to be where? Here. With you, exactly. So... It's kind of a bittersweet thing. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, one more thing real quickly, just as update. Uh, there are these pink slips back in the back, and they are not for cars. So sorry, guys. Um, they are for a password uh, to the new directory uh, that Cindy has put together. Um, so when you go to our website, click on the resources tab. Uh, you'll see it. I think it says like more or something like that, and there's a drop-down arrow when you hover over that, it'll drop down menu and there's resources, click resources. And the first thing you'll see is a uh, button to click for the directory. And uh, there is the password right there on this pink slip. We just did it this way because we didn't want to send out a bunch of emails and then, you know, someone, you know, hack that and get the password. So anyway, there it is. And uh, that way it's secure, but accessible to all of you. And while, uh, while that's been updated, yeah, and the yeah the website should see a little bit more uh, a little bit more regular changes now. We we it was real easy uh, to get it up and running, but then the maintenance of the website has been somewhat of a, uh, a, a somewhat of a learning curve because we can do some things but we can't do everything right. right so right. we've had to kind of learn what we could do and what we couldn't do. So we had another training session this past week. Our whole staff did, and uh, we're, we're a lot more on top of the website now so so keep a regular look on that for us and let us know uh help us some of you some of you send us emails from time to time giving us pointers on that and we appreciate that well, i mean i see it as help so yeah all right well if we keep talking we're not going to get through with uh corinthians right. tonight so we've got to we got to get on it and we've got to uh, save some time at the end uh for a couple things we've got to tell you about that are that are good things and and uh one, one really good thing that has come our way this past week that will happen in September we're going to tell you about. I'm just going to leave you hanging on the edge of your seat for the whole Bible study, okay? <laughs> Don't you love the way we do that as staff? You know it's good news, right? Okay. All right. So uh, Corinthians, Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And if you have read this letter, uh, you found yourself like sometimes probably completely confused and not knowing what in the world Paul is talking about, or you found yourself like uh, going, wow, man, that seems really harsh and weird. Have y'all felt that when you've read this, this or, letter a little bit? 
man, that is so amazing and rich and sure. awesome. So sure. there's just, you go through a bunch of different experiences. Yeah. yeah most you're... definitely. Most yeah. definitely. Reading First Corinthians. Yes. So here we go. Uh, introductory material just a little bit tonight before we jump to chapter 7. So this letter is Paul's answer to a letter he had received. And uh, the evidence for that is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, in which questions were asked concerning the church in Corinth. So Paul's reply is a letter of correction of errors and confirmation of truth. Okay? So when you look at 1 Corinthians, this is a letter of correction. Okay? Why don't y'all say that with me? It's a letter, a letter of, of correction. correction. Okay. Who here loves to be corrected on a regular basis? Would you raise your hand? Sure you do. Right. <laughs> right. Just like I do. Right. We all love to be corrected. Nobody wants to be corrected because everybody wants to be right. Okay. But that's not the case. Uh, the word of God corrects us all. And that's where Paul is coming is to try to uh, show, show love toward this church in Corinth that he, that he dearly loved and trying to help them fix some of their misunderstandings about things. Yeah. Right, he wrote it from Ephesus, and we see that in Acts chapter uh, 20, verse 31. All right. The book deals with factions in the church. At that time, amazing as it may seem, many of the same things remain in the church today. This book is one of the vital parts of Scripture which should be taught in all churches for doctrine and reproof and correction. Uh, the city of Corinth was the sin center of the Roman Empire in Paul's day. What would be the sin center? We talked about that of today. What's a sin center? Vegas, New Orleans, downtown, downtown Nashville. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Got it. All right, boys. Mark is putting one right in our lap. Okay. Grenade. Yeah. Exactly. All right. It was 40 miles west of Athens. It was a commercial center of the Roman Empire with three great harbors. Uh, the ruins can be seen today, and uh, people go there all the time. So, all right. The central message is the wisdom of God. And uh, the structure of the book. Now I'm just gonna I'm gonna jump down here to uh, chapter seven where we left off, or we will never get finished because I could go back over all this and I'd love every second of it. But we yep. have got to to move on here. Book. So just a quick review while I'm trying to find this slide. What, what was the the primary division that had formed in Corinth, sir? Spiritual gifts. Okay, that was one, right. That was definitely one of them. What was yep. the other though? It was over what? I follow. I follow, I follow. So it was a leadership. It, there, were, there were leadership factions in the church. You know, I follow Colton. I follow yeah. Shelby. I follow Clayton and, and, and so what forth. That was, what that was, why that was being fueled is because they were depending on worldly wisdom instead of Christ-like wisdom, Christ-centered wisdom. And that's why you see the central theme of the book is the wisdom of God. Yep. Godly wisdom. Very good. All right, if you got your Bible, turn to chapter 6. This is where we are about um, lawsuits against believers, I think, is where we, where we left this. And, and uh, we talked just briefly about this. And, um, and I think probably for contemporary society, the, 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 main, uh, the main thing we have to contend with today, especially with the, with the uh, invention of insurance companies, is a lot of times it's not within your power to decide whether or not a lawsuit's going to be filed, because if you have a wreck, sometimes your insurance company takes it into their own hands, and in that case, that's really outside of your control. But if at all possible, okay, believers should not take other believers where to court. We shouldn't. We should try to work these thing out, these things out. And uh, we went through the peacemaker ministry last year around this time, or yep. Dur yep. during mm -hmm. these months, 
and, and he, he had a really good uh, explanation, really good paradigmatic way of, of uh, arbitration and stuff between believers. So just, just keep that in mind. So if you've got, you know, if you run into a situation where you feel like there's been loss and it hasn't been adequately compensated, you know, talk to us, talk to your, talk to your people in the church and let us help you through that. You know, don't, don't harbor all that anger and bitterness inside. Talk to somebody and we can, we can, we can help you, you know, help you walk through this thing and figure this thing out. Cause we all deal with that. Do we not? Yeah. I mean, we all deal with that from time to time. Okay. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. I think this is where we left off. Verses 19 and 20 in chapter six, I believe. Is that right? Correct. Am I right? I think so. Yeah. You're right on, brother. Yes, right. Flee, and, that, and, and the context there is to flee sexual, sexual immorality, uh, to not be enslaved by anything. I'm in chapter 6, verse 12. Uh, food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy b- both one and the other. The body, is meant for, uh, the body is meant for sexual immorality. Excuse me. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ and so forth? Then he finishes out with kind of a summary statement in 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And of course, most people believe that commentators on 1 Corinthians believe that that Paul's understanding of the body of Christ and the temple metaphor came from what? Christ, when he challenged the Pharisees to what? Destroy, Destroy the temple this in temple. Days, and and yeah. I'll, I'll rebuild it in three right. days. And yeah. so was Jesus talking about the temple? No, he was talking about his body, yeah. meaning crucify this body in three days, I'll raise it back up. Yeah, and so. we, we did, you know, we made that note last time, and it's, it's a good one to state again that, you know, you will see um, Christ's, influence of his teaching all throughout Paul's doctrine if you look carefully and trace it back to Christ's teaching. So that's just a it's an important thing to keep in mind as you're studying Paul to look at the at the not just glimpses but rays of sunlight that are shining through Jesus's teaching because he's taking from Jesus of course yes as an apostle. This next uh, section uh, shows you in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1 kind of at the introduction when he explained how 1 Corinthians was a response uh, to a letter that he had received from the church. Uh, so you kind of get to see this exchange in the, in, the ancient, uh, in the ancient world of a letter coming to someone and that person writing a letter back. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 1 says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote. Okay, which you wrote me. So you think like Paul, right? He gets this letter from first from the Corinthian church. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking of the way this unfolded, right? So I think he gets this letter, right, from the Corinthian church, and they're asking about all of these questions. And but he's hearing this report from Chloe's people that there's factions and divisions in the church. He's like, man, since they're sending me a letter, I'm about to I'm about to drop it. Like, I'm about to drop the heat in this first portion to let them know, like, you know, stop walking in worldly wisdom and walk in uh, Christ-like wisdom. And then I'll answer your questions when we get to chapter 7. But did you have something, Dick? (laughs) Imagine that, Dick. Confusion in marriage. Imagine that. Paul's opinion that you're better off not to get married, but it's okay to get married. Yes, yes. Absolutely. You summed it up perfectly. Yes. Study over. We're good. Let's go home. 
<laughs> no, you really, but really, you, that's, yeah. No, no, chapter, chapter 7, Paul's teaching. Right, and, and, for, and he's instructing those who can live that lifestyle to live it. Yeah, the, the, the minutia, when I say minutia, I mean like, like having to go through chapter, the whole chapter 7 and try to explain everything he's talking about would, t- would take the whole session tonight. So we've got to kind of bounce over it. But I will tell you, this is probably some of the more difficult things to understand exactly what Paul is talking about. And, and one of the ways that you try to discern, and let, let me start over. Remember that when you're, when you're reading a letter, you only have what? One side of the what? Story. Of the debate or one side. Of, so, so for us, all this many years far removed from the ancient world and from the, from the church of Corinth, we have to try to discern what he's talking about in this letter. Sometimes that's straightforward. Sometimes it's not. Um, and some of these chapters in, in Corinth, it's, it's kind of hard to understand exactly, exactly what Paul is talking about. But, but let's, let's hit the high points here, and we'll keep going. So the first, the first thing he hits here in 7 is concerning what, y'all? Marriage, yeah. So the passage is clear that there's what? One wife for what? One man, okay? If one is an unbeliever, the believing mate should stay and try to win the other. And that's probably one of the neatest things uh, about, this, um, about this chapter that, that you will find is that where Paul basically encourages encourages an unbelieving or excuse me a believing spouse to stay with an unbelieving spouse if the unbelieving spouse will agree to stay with the believing spouse. In other words, he says it's okay for the unbeliever to leave if the unbeliever doesn't want to stay with the believer. And then the, then the believer is okay to move on and not be at fault. The unbeliever can leave because technically is we are not supposed to be unequally yoked in marriage, right? Everybody understand yeah. that? When I say unequally yoked, that means Christians should only marry who? Christians. Christians. The Bible is very clear about that. There is no argument there whatsoever. Christians should marry Christians. However, if two, unbel- two unbelievers are married and one of them gets saved, okay, the unbeliever should, or the believer should not do what Paul is saying. Don't leave the unbeliever. If the unbeliever will live with you peaceably and, and, in, a, in, a, and in a spousal relationship, stay with them because over time, your witness may do what? Exactly. So that's what, that's what he's saying uh, by that. And what's really interesting is that he actually uses the, the terminology he uses in this chapter is sanctify. That the believing spouse sanctifies the unbelieving spouse. Now, what does that mean? That means that the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of that spouse affects their speech, affects their behavior, affects their life. And over time of living week in, week out, day in, day out, hour in, hour out, with a believing spouse, the example, the, 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 hopefully the, the power of the word of God that comes out of that, that, that believing spouse's mouth from time to time, the fact that they go where every Sunday, hopefully, to church, and, and they have the word of God sitting all the time, that that acts as a constant evangelistic mechanism onto the heart of the unbeliever. And so hopefully over time, what happens? They get saved. Exactly. So yeah. it's fascinating. Yeah, and I think, too, one thing to keep in mind as we walk through chapter 7 through really 10, maybe even, well, actually, all the way into 11. I'm trying to think, yeah, really even 12. Um, 
one thing that Paul, well, I'm going to even extend it to 14, because uh, one thing that Paul is really hitting on, I think, as you read through those chapters, he's, he's talking about keeping your brothers and your sisters in mind, to, mm-hmm. to, to love your brothers and sisters, and, and what is the ultimate way to love them, to show them Christ, um, you know, to, to be mindful of their weaknesses. And, and this is one thing that he's going to hit on uh, through chapters 8 through 10. But I think really you even see that in being mindful of your spouse, being mindful of that person who is a lost person in your home. I, I think Paul's really making a practical plea here for what love looks like fleshed out in Christ in these difficult circumstances. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that, that God had the foresight to add this in Scripture because... I mean, this gives us great practical answers to the marriage problems that we yep. face in our day. I mean, we are going through a marriage crisis in the world, no in doubt. America. No and, doubt. And we've got to apply good, hearty, loving, gentle, abrasive at times, biblical truth. Mm-hmm. And, and again, in a gentle, loving way, not beating people over the head with it. I'm not saying that. But in a, in a loving, gentle way, bringing these truths to marriage. And, and it would greatly change the landscape so right and just, and just to give you one uh just just hard-coded fact if you look at chapter 7 verses 39 and 40 uh th- this is this is if you've ever had a question about this this will this will solve it forever uh, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives but if her husband dies she is what free to be married to whom she wishes only in the lord now what does that mean only in the lord that's exactly right. That's ex- excellent, man. Excellent. Okay, fantastic. So anyway, there's a whole lot of other stuff in there that's, that's, that, that, would, that caused me to ask a lot of questions. But just like Colton just said, there's also a lot of great stuff in here that if you have never read chapter 7 before, it is just a, a plethora of, of wonderful uh, advice and instruction from Paul about marriage. Okay? Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Just, just, just to just so you know what Jack is talking about, go to chapter seven, verse eight. The chapter seven, verse eight. I, I found this, and this helped me. This, and I'm just, it's going to be, hopefully it'll be a little funny to you, but when I found this verse, that was when I realized that I was not destined to be single. Amen? <laughs> it said, right. to the unmarried and the widow, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should be married. They should marry. For it is better to marry than to what? Burn with passion, right? Now, that goes for the, for the, for the widower as well as the widow, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's anybody. I mean, if you're, if you're aflame with passion, Okay, you're not. You're gonna sin. You're gonna. You're gonna fall into sexual sin. If so, if you don't have the self control to remain celibate, which is what Jack is saying, then you should do what? Get married. Yes, and channel that into a spouse. Exactly right, and have children. And so. the cool thing is, is that God designed, as you alluded to, Jack. He designed marriage. Uh, and Dick, one before we get to you, I just wanted to read one passage real quick that I think hits on this point. Why is Paul saying this? Well, in verse thirty-two. He says this, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. 
But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy uh, in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for you, uh, for your own benefit, not to lay in, uh, any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and uh, and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Yep. So excellent. And since since we're just going to go ahead and read the whole chapter seven, uh, go, go back up there to chapter seven, and this is some of my favorite, some of my favorite passages, uh, verse three. Chapter 7, verse 3, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. Not to get crude, but y'all know what that means, right? Okay, all right. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but who does? And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. I don't know if everyone knows what that means. Okay, do y'all know what that means? That means that, that husbands and wives, that means that, let's just, I'll goofy. just talk to me and about me and Angie, Okay. My body belongs to her, and her body belongs to me. Ooh. Okay? Now, that may be shocking to you. And this is the kind of stuff, that, that this is one of those passages in the Bible that makes people hate the Bible. Okay? But this is a fact. That is why in Genesis... The Bible says we come together and cleave, and what happens to the husband and the wife? They become what? One flesh. Okay, let's keep reading just for a second, because there's more here. All right, verse 5, chapter 7, verse 5. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to what? Prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of what? Self-control. So, so if you decide to abstain from conjugal relations, okay, that's fine. But only do it mutually agreed upon for a specific time for the purpose of prayer. And don't let it last too long because if you do, chances are if you don't have the gift of celibacy, you're going to burn with passion. And that is going to, to birth in you temptations. And we know that temp sexual temptation often leads to what? Adultery, and then when that happens, what happens? It's a mess. Or it's, it's just a mess. The adultery of pornography. Of course. Is that that's either, a reality we've got to talk about? Either one. So, so it, it does not get more explicit and more pointed in the text than, than Paul does in chapter 7. And I, and I, think, I thank God for it. Yes. Did, I, did, I, I found that last part of verse 7. I don't know what you're about. I'm, I, I'm having the international version. Yeah. I like the last part of verse seven. Where, I mean, the first part says, "I wish all men were like I am," but then he said, "But then listen to this. But each man has his own gift from God. That's right. One has this, another that. There might be a married man that can help other married people with the gospel. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, what, and what he means by that is, is, is that Paul obviously had the gift of celibacy. As, as far as we know, he wasn't married, uh, was never married, and uh, some people think that the thorn in his flesh may have been. Lust. I mean, I don't, I don't, to me, there's no evidence of that in there. Um, but what he means by that is, and I think, I think uh, Colton pointed it out at the beginning. The reason why he says, if you can be like me, is because you can be 100% fully devoted to who? The Lord. God and Jesus. If you get married and you have kids, 
like we are. Okay, and there's nothing wrong. I mean, the Bible clearly teaches to be fruitful and multiply. The gospel is represented by the covenant. I mean, Paul talks all about that in Ephesians 5. So he's not saying that's bad. He's just saying that as far as uh, tactically for the kingdom, if you can stay single and be fully devoted to the kingdom, that is a good thing that he encourages. That's all he means by that. So, so we're all comfortable now, right? Everybody okay? <laughs> all right. Good. Okay. Awesome. Let's move on. So chapters 8, 9, and 10, we see that they go together and answer the questions concerning Christian conduct and Christian liberty. So Paul's answers in 1 Corinthians 7, 1, uh, note 8, 1, 8, 9, and especially 13. We'll just read 13, 8, 13. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Now, this is a teaching that uh, we as Baptists have probably applied to the consumption of alcohol uh, more than we have anything, anything else. Uh, but you can apply it across the board to a lot of different things. And what it basically, yes, okay. What it basically says is, is that if I have a, if I have a Christian freedom, okay, uh, like listening to Van Halen every now and then, okay, that's a Christian freedom that I take. Van Halen is not Christian music. He was not a Christian musician. Uh, I, I don't pretend that he was. But, 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 but Eddie Van Halen was one of the greatest guitar players that, that, that God ever gave the world. And, and I mean, he was created in his image. That's why he had the talent he had. Okay, but, but that music may be highly offensive to someone else, right? So before I break out Eddie Van Halen and start jamming him out in my car, driving down the highway, and I've got a passenger in the car, I might ask a couple of questions. You know, hey, do you like classic rock music that's not Christian? Oh, oh, no, 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 I hate, uh, you mean music like Van Halen? No, I hate, I hate that kind of music. Well, guess what I'm not going to play? Why would I not do that? Even though I take it as a Christian freedom to listen to that music every now and then, to him, it is a what? It's a grievance. It grieves his spirit, and he doesn't, he doesn't want to hear that type of music, so I keep my CD tucked away in my glove box. Now we're getting practical. This is... Well, yes, it's yeah. very practical. Yeah. So, so by the same token, if other people have Christian freedoms, uh, in this uh, a meat offered to idols, Paul is basically saying, I mean, it's just what? It's just meat, man. It's just meat. I mean, so basically there's nothing wrong with eating it, but if someone sees it as a spiritual transgression and you know that, what should you do? Not eat it. Well, and I love, I love how he starts this because I think the Corinthians, again, were arrogant. They were prideful. And he says, this knowledge puffs up. Uh, or he says, now concerning uh, food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And so you're going to see Paul, and again, this is why I said this about love, because he uses that word builds up. You're going to see him use that phrase again and again and again through to chapter 12, and it might have been beyond when I was reading. I, was, I just kept on picking up that builds up, builds up. Do what builds up the church. Um, you know, even in your Christian freedoms, do what builds up the church. He says it in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, where he's talking about, yeah, you can speak in tongues, and that's great. But he said, desire the greater gift, prophecy, because what? It builds up the church. Yeah. And so he's going to constantly come back to that refrain of loving your brothers and sisters in Christ and doing what's going to build their faith and build them up. That's beautiful. Let me show you one, one more citation and then we'll move on. Go to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 and look at um, verse 27. Now remember, we went through Acts not too long ago. And in Acts chapter 15, they are having this massive meeting, okay, 
uh, of, of all the, 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 the who's who of Judaism. And what are they discussing in that big meeting? Gentiles coming into the church, right? Gentiles are coming into the church, and do we require them to be what? Circumcised and follow the law. The decision was no. The decision that was made was no. But look at what they, look at what they did in this letter that, 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 that uh, is very uh, applicable to what we're talking about. Chapter 15, beginning in verse 27. We therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you same things by word of mouth, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. So this is the letter that they took on the next, on the next uh, missionary journey to spread to all the churches that had Gentiles coming in to a predominantly Jewish church. This is what they ask. That you abstain from what has been sacrificed to what? Ah, how ironic. What are we talking about in 1 Corinthians 8? Sacrifice to idols. And from what? Blood. And from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Why did they, why did they send those requirements out to all the, all the churches? Because to Jews, all those things were what? Unclean and a deep offense. But to Gentiles, did they make any difference at all? No. Because the Gentiles had not been raised up with the law. They had no idea. They had no idea the spiritual significance of those things according to the law. So when they sent those letters back out to the churches, they asked, they asked the Gentiles, for the love of your Jewish brethren, who is who Christ came through, respect them and don't cause them grief and do these few things and you will do well. Amen. So, so for us in the church, it is so important for, uh, that, that's why we have to know each other, right? We have to know each other and know each other's backgrounds so we know how to love each other in a way that, that honors our backgrounds and honors the, like, like our place in our walk with Christ. I mean, I mean, some people are strong in their faith. They are. I mean, they, they can go places maybe and do missions and do things that other people wouldn't feel confident in doing. And we have to know that in order to deal with them appropriately and brotherly, Absolutely. as you've said. So, yeah. All right. Sorry, I got on it. That's just a, that's a bit. That's that's one of the things that Rock I love to talk on, about. Man. So these chapters deal with the Christian conduct and its effect on the weaker brethren. Five times in these three chapters, we find the expression for, of consideration for the weaker brother. First Corinthians chapter eight verse nine. Say that with me. Them that are what weak. First Corinthians eight thirteen. Make my brother stumble. Okay. Five times in these three chapters, the same thing, I'm sorry, that I might gain the what? Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22. That I might gain the weak. 1 Corinthians 10, 24. Let no man seek his own advantage but others. 1 Corinthians 10, 32. Give no offense. Give no offense. Uh, I will say this. Um, that right there, I would say that the mask issue falls into this category. Would mm -hmm. y'all? Yeah, conviction. I mean, some yeah. people feel extremely strong that everybody should wear a mask for the benefit of others, right? If we love our brother and sister in Christ that feels very strongly that people should wear masks, we should wear masks. But on the other side, we have people that what? Think we sh that masks are harmful, that we shouldn't have to wear masks. And so somewhere in our Christian charity... We have got to find a, a, a place in there that's loving and agreeable so that we don't let that little piece of fabric do what to us? Division. Divide us, exactly. Which right. is what we saw happen everywhere 
over the past year. Okay, I'll grab that. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. It's good. It's good. He calls you to memorize it. Yeah. That's uh, (laughs) a... Oh, what we just talked about? The no temptation has overtaken you? Take it away. Yeah, I think that basically... Oh, 1024. Oh, 10, okay, right there? Yeah. I'd cross it out. To answer that, I'd cross it out with Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Because that's the whole basis of Peacemaker, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I was just going to say, I mean, it might be good to read a little context around sure, it. Sure, just to give yeah, a little help to it. Yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah, so I'll look up Philippians while you're doing that. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, um, and I'll just start in verse 23 there. That's the starting of that section and read just a few verses. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. There's your build up again. So he's talking about brotherly Christian love. Um, let no one seek his own good. So I think that's pretty straightforward. We're not going to seek out our own advantage uh, over our brothers and sisters. We're going to have our brothers and sisters in Christ in mind uh, to serve them, to love them, even if it is, is to the detriment of our benefit. You know, maybe we don't benefit, but they do. There it is. And what he's saying is, is that although I have the right and the freedom in Christ, so Jews weren't going around eating pork sandwiches because <laughs> pork was, was, you know, it was uh, off limits. They couldn't eat pork. So Paul's not going to go walking up into uh, a synagogue eating a pork sandwich when he's trying to witness to those people or when he sees a Jewish brother um, who is a believer in Christ, he's not going to eat pork around them unless they realize that they're free in Christ. If they've come to the same understanding Paul has, where they're like, okay, we're free in Christ. We can eat whatever we want. Then, then they might have a pork sandwich together. But if, if that brother's still struggling and he's like, man, I just, I, I've, I've, I've uh, abstained from this all my life. I don't know what to do with this. Then Paul's not going to. What he's saying is, although it's lawful for me now, I can do it freely I'm not going to do that in front of my brother because it's going to cause him to stumble um, and fall. Oh, yeah. Just to, yep, mm-hmm. just to appease him. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and he went under the Nazarite vow, too. And, and just for like a... Um, uh, for a like like a like a business world example, Chuck, because I th- I think that's probably one of the things that that that's perplexing to all of us at times is how for me as a business person how how am I to go out in a competitive market and to make a profit and to seek my own advantage without trampling on some on, without trampling on somebody or selling something something selling somebody something they don't need and what I would say is is that is that you, you be honest and transparent with the person that you're dealing with. And if they don't need, if they don't really need what you're selling, don't try to convince them they do if they really don't. Uh, that's why honest salespeople are, are uh, 
very few. <laughs> but because, I mean, if, if, I mean, if you're going to, I mean, you've heard the term sell snow to Eskimos. I mean, do Eskimos really need to buy snow? I mean, no, no they, they got plenty of it. You know what I mean? So, so I think that what you have to do is you have to, to apply the, uh, uh, you know, the, the principle, um, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, would you want someone and come to try to, to, to be kind of a, uh, a tricky salesperson and sell you something that you didn't need? Or would you really want somebody to care about you and to be sure you needed this and to, to, to sell you something at a fair price for something you really need? And the answer to that is yes, that's what you would want. So I think that's kind of the, the yeah. ballpark of what we're talking about here. Yes, I mean, and, and their advantage, yeah, exactly. But but I think in your own mind, you kind of have to play both roles to keep yourself honest. You know, you know what I'm saying? Uh, because you're going to be told one thing by the world, and then the gospel is going to tell you something else. So you kind of have to be familiar with both to shut one out. Um, listen to this. Uh, this is uh, the whole Peacemaker study. Now, you, you weren't here last year when we did this, but we spent several months uh, going through a book called Peacemaker by Ken Sandy that, taught, that teaches you how to deal with biblical conflict in the home and in the church. And this is the, the scripture that the whole book was based on is this passage right here. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So, so the idea is, <clears throat> is that we don't want to come into a situation for us trying to win or come out the other side better. We're trying to come out of the situation with both of us being winners and both coming away from it better off. That's, that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. So, yes, Jim. Uh -huh. you know, don't take a brother's court. It also says in there, you know, it says, says uh, why not better let yourself be the problem? Sure. So, so sure. same thing. But, you know, if it'll make peace, let your, your brother sure. or sister win. Right. Right. Give in. Sure. Well, sure. and that's hard to do. And, and I just, I think you see the same thing happen in First uh, Corinthians 9. It's the same kind of concept. He says that he's going to give up his rights as a pastor. I mean, Paul lived out, he, he didn't just live the walk, uh, Dick or Jack, I can't remember who said that. I mean, he went to the nth degree. I mean, he could have, he could have put the stipulation in place with these congregations that they would provide for him. Um, and, and, he, and he said he was not going to even put that burden on them so that the gospel would not be stayed. The gospel would go forward and there would be no limiting factor to the gospel. That's, and, and, and actually one of my very favorite chapters, again, in scripture is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, it's, it's a delightful read. We don't have time to, again, if we broke down all of that, we'd be here all night and, and beyond again. But it's a great, great, great chapter. Um, because he sacrifices his rights as a pastor so that the gospel will move forward even, even, even further and even faster. So uh, he wants it to be as unbound as possible, and I, I just love his heart. Amen. All right, moving on. Chapter 11 of Corinthians. This is easy, pretty easy chapter to oh, oh, discern. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah I, it's, a, it's the easiest chapter in the whole book, <laughs> in the whole letter. Uh, chapter 11, now, 
I, I can tell you anything you want to know about 17 to 34. Do any of y'all recognize that passage? That are regular members here? Lord's Supper, absolutely. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, not this Sunday, but next Sunday. And this will be the passage that I read. And I will give you a few moments to reflect uh, on your own life and in, in any area in which you believe you may uh, have unrepentant sin in your life. Give you a chance to pray to the Lord and seek forgiveness for that before we take it. However, the verses from chapter 11, verses 2 through 16, are some of the most difficult uh, to interpret in the whole Bible. Uh, he recognizes that. Uh, as we go through here. Uh, so we're just going to go through it and yeah. see how it goes. Oh, it'd be great. Yeah, yeah. all right, here yeah. we go. So in First Corinthians eleven five, we find a verse that has been grossly misconstrued. The principle of the woman's place is stated in verse 3. The head of man is who? Christ. The head of woman is who? Okay, now is that culturally insensitive? Can you give me an amen? Yes. Yeah. And the head of Christ is who? God. So, so to understand this, whatever he is saying here is to be understood in this framework. The head of man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. You know, and I think the, we've got to give credence, and of course we do. He's God. We're not. I mean, he designed the home in, in the way that he designed it. This doesn't mean that, that men have more dignity than, than women. It doesn't mean that, uh, that men are more valued in God's sight than women. That's not what's happening here. Uh, women and men have equal dignity but separate roles um, within the home. And it just so happens the way God has meted it out and by his will, uh, men are to be the leaders of the home and women are to come along beside them. I like to say it that way, to come along beside them and to help them in their leadership role. Now, you men in, in the church, you know well and good that if I say, has your wife helped you at all in the home, you give a hearty amen. Amen. You give amen. a hearty amen. 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 There it is. There amen. it is. All right. All right, men. And not she, in the doghouse amen. tonight. Good. Good. Praise the Lord. Um, you know, and so I, I think that, you know, there's such a rich, beautiful picture and something that me and Joe talk about sometimes, uh, I, I've just mentioned before, if, if we would do it God's way, because churches get this wrong all the time, but if we would do it God's way, we would see and reap the beautiful benefits of doing it his way. Um, but we want to buck against it. And in fact, you see in Genesis all the way back in the beginning, I mean, go figure in the, in the very beginning. God alluded to this, and he warned that this would happen, that the woman's desire would be for the husband and to rule over him. Guys, it's in, it's in the book. It's like it's there. The temptations are set, and man's going to have a hard time working the ground and by the sweat of his brow, and he's going to be passive like Adam was in the very beginning. I think, I think that's a little bit of interpretive license maybe, but, but I think it's, you could probably make a case that it's there. Um, certainly, I mean, Adam was just sitting by while Eve went and ate from the tree. He abdicated his role to lead and to say, stop, Eve, stop. He didn't do that. And so, uh, but the beauty of the hierarchy, I, and I think, Paul, that's the heartbeat of, yeah. of this passage. Yes, it is. Okay. Uh, the application of the principle is in verses 4 through 6. The women certainly did prophesy, teach, speak, exhort comfort in that church of Corinth. In this passage, Paul's concern is solely that of headdress and taking part in public worship. Uh, verse 10 is the badge of authority she was to wear to have the right to speak or pray. Paul was actually a champion for women 
and has been misinterpreted terribly. I mean, how many of y'all have heard that Paul was a woman hater? Raise your hand. Yeah, I mean, I've heard it all my life that Paul was a woman hater. Paul was not a woman hater at all. He was not. Uh, and I think the book of Acts clearly shows that. And one of his most trusted people on the mission field was who? In Philippi. Lydia. Lydia, yeah. I mean, to, to say that there was not a special relationship there and she was not a partnership in ministry and, and did not help him with that church plan, I yeah. think is, is, is just absolutely crazy. So, so yeah. Paul was actually a champion for women and has been misinterpreted terribly. The Lord's table is the subject of verses 17 through 34. And I know that you've heard me preach on that, those of you that are members of the church. I mean, I, I think we've done the Lord's Supper probably 10 times since I've been here, and, I, and I know I've, that's the passage I've used about every time. So the Lord's Supper is recorded in detail by all four gospel writers. Thus, it is important to all believers. In verse 17 through 22, the early church had a meal before celebrating the Lord's Supper. The meal was called an agape, a love feast. Who's ever heard that before? Anybody ever heard that? Okay. And this uh, interesting note is why the first century church was persecuted sometimes yes. because they interpreted that, the culture did, like they were having. And it's really, um, it's really just kind of ironic and funny that, that the pagans were, um, you know, going after the Christians because they were having these love feasts, which they thought were, you know, I mean, I'm just going to put it out there. They thought they were orgies and this type of thing. And what were the pagans doing? Same thing. They were. They had fertility cults. They had. They were doing. They were the ones doing. It. And they were like, "You Christians are having love feasts." You know, it's like, well, yeah. I mean, we're getting together and we're celebrating the love that we have in Christ, and we're, you know, fellowshipping together. What What do your love feasts look like? You know. <laughs> well, it was, well, it was actually one step deeper than that, actually, because what do we call ourselves in the Church of Jesus Christ? Brothers and what? Brothers and sisters. So you've got yeah. all these people in Rome calling themselves brothers and sisters, and we're all going to a love feast. So what does that sound like? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So we got a bunch of hippies on an incest run, right? No, it was the Church of Jesus Christ being grossly misunderstood. Yep. They were having the Lord's Supper, which was commanded by Jesus to come together, to eat together, to celebrate uh, his, his second coming and his sacrifice on the cross. So. Yep, absolutely. So disorders had arisen, and now Paul commands that those disorders be discontinued. And of course, I always point this out whenever we had the Lord's Supper. Uh, Paul's words in chapter 11, verses 30 and 31 it says that if you eat and drink without discerning the body, okay, meaning discerning the body, like thinking in your mind about, you know, past sins or maybe arguments you got into with somebody in the church or maybe, maybe you, you, you gossiped, you, you fell to the temptation of gossip or, or I don't know. I mean, I don't know what, it could be any, any type of sin in the body of Christ. And then you come to the Lord's Supper without discerning that, and repenting of that and realizing that. So in other words, you presume upon God that you're just going to accept me even though I've got this unconfessed, you know, you know, sin in my life. That is why many of you, he says, are what? Weak and ill and some have what? Died. Died. <clears throat> so let's be sure we understand something. And I, and I, I just, I mean, I think I've shared this with you. Uh, I do not share the view uh, that the Lord's Supper is just symbolic, okay? I do not believe that the juice is Jesus' blood. I don't believe that. And I don't believe that the bread is Christ's flesh. Y'all hear me, right? Does everybody hear me out there? Okay. I don't believe that. 
But I also don't believe that it's just juice and bread and about, you know, 15 minutes worth of hanging out in the sanctuary. I believe there is something deeply sanctifying and deeply spiritual that happens here when we take the Lord's Supper together. Because if that were not true, you wouldn't be getting weak and ill and dying, some of us. I mean, what this says is, is that if you come to the Lord's table with your heart not right, spiritual consequences happen, which manifest in the what? In the flesh, exactly, in the physical realm. I mean, have you ever, like, come across somebody in the world and you could just take one look at them and know that they were carrying an untold amount of pain in their life? What about them screamed out at you? Maybe, maybe they're, they're young in their 30s, but they've got really deep, deep-seated wrinkles all around them because they're walking around like this all the time because they're bad. I mean, seriously, over time, what does that do to your body? It kills it because yeah. you're under constant stress, stress constant stress. I, I, mean, I mean, do you know people that they did survey? I remember this year, years and years ago. Uh, when I was in First Baptist Greenville, at that time, that would have been in the, in the mid-90s. They did a whole bunch of studies on health trends uh, for people that went to church and people that did not go to church. And guess what? With the people that went to church, by, by a large number, had much better health, had much better lives, much less stress. Because we believe in an eternal God that has forgiven us of our sins and because our stress level is, is much lower. Yep, that's it. You actually do. Tony said, yeah. you ever heard the term, worry yourself sick? It actually, it actually does happen. Now, of course, the converse of that is, for, especially for, there are recent numbers about church staff, believe it or not, that, that sometimes dealing with division in church can be so stressful that it, makes, that it makes ministers sick because we constantly have to deal with just division and it never stops or an antagonist in the church won't leave them alone. It's just constant and they're just worried all the time about they're going to get fired or they're going to be able to, to provide for their family and their kids and all that kind of stuff. But for, for, the, for the general church people, uh, our health is much better in the church than outside the church. Yeah, and I was just going to add on to all of this awesome conversation. In verse 33, I love, I just, I love this and you hit on this one time in one of your Lord's Supper sermons that really stuck out to me. Um, verse 33, so then my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. And I just love that. I love that he says, just simply wait. You know, don't be in a rush. Don't be in a hurry to get done. And so often I think, I'm just going to be, I'm just going to put it out there, Shelby. Put it out Should there. I just put it out put there? Out okay. There. I think sometimes our church culture structure that we have built for ourselves it's comfortable. It works. It's quick. You know, it's one and done. Get it done. Get me out of here so I can get to Cracker Barrel. <laughs> but man, I, I think that we miss, we steal something from this, this, when we've got it so segmented and structured in our church culture that we don't even have time together to rejoice and to take the bread and to take the wine, which I'm saying wine, but you know, grape juice for us. Um, but you know what I mean? The, the blood of Christ symbolically, the blood of Jesus and, and, and to rejoice over what he has done for us. And, and I love, I love that you have lengthened that time to at least give us 
I mean, you know, in, in our days, what you do would be considered by some churches unorthodox, you know, because <laughs> it's like, few minutes you're of, taking away too much time on this, you well, know, no, we I, need a conveyor belt in here, baby, let's get it done. Well, I just, I don't want to die in the Lord's Supper. I love know? Lucy, just, you know, right? taking I mean, the chocolate. Do you want to die in the Lord's Supper? I mean, I want to die in the Lord's Supper. Right, and so I just, I think, you know, we just, we rush it sometimes. We do. We and do. We're, t- we're so busy, you know, it's like the Alabama song. You know, uh, I'm in a hurry to get things done. Rush and rush. <laughs> I don't know that one. Y'all, I don't know that one. Y'all don't know that song? Nathan's. I'm Nathan in a hurry Nathan's. to get things done, and I rush and rush until life's no fun. Okay. Whoa. There man. you go. You got it. I know taking care of business. Y'all know that one? <laughs> the taking equivalent. Taking care of business. The equivalent. Okay. There you all go. Right. Sorry. Back singing, to the text. Pastor, sorry. Okay. <laughs> in uh, verses 20 through the 26, Paul was given these instructions directly from the Lord. Paul spells out the meaning and simplicity of the Lord's Supper. Do this in remembrance of me. Do show forth the Lord's death until he comes. So, spiritual gifts. All right. So, Mm. the three chapters, 12, 13, and 14, um, these three chapters should be taken together as one. There are gifts given to every man as he wills. So, chapter 12, the diversity of gifts, but how many spirits? One. Many members, but how many bodies? Right. Many types of service, but how many churches? One. Exactly. So chapter 12 is... Um, awesome. You know, this, it is. And, the, and where we get, just, just so you know, uh, I got into a lengthy, uh, almost contentious uh, debate with a lady one time uh, in, in Mississippi who absolutely thought church membership was unbiblical, wrong, satanic, where do I get the idea from, how crazy is this? I mean, she, she just had never heard of church membership before, and I, and I just said, okay, and I took my Bible very carefully, amen, very carefully, and I opened to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and then I read verses 12 through 26, and I mean, she didn't want to hear it. She just shut it out. And she never came back to the church. It was really strange. First time it ever has ever happened to me. So mm-hmm. membership, where we get membership from, this is one of, one of the texts uh, in the Bible that we get this from for church membership. Uh, because we are members, members of, one of the body of Christ. Members right. of the body. And right. if you've never read that, it's, it's really neat the way Paul uses the body parts um, from, say, verse uh, 14 through 26, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head, I have no need of you, and so forth. It, it's, it's, very, very, it, it's a, it's a really rich metaphor that helps. Okay, 13, I shall show you a more excellent way, and this is the famous chapter that everybody reads where? Weddings. Weddings, yes, yes. Who here had read this, had this read at their wedding? Raise your hand. We Cherish, had this Strickland, sung, but... Campbell's. Alicia, nobody else. We had a song sung that basically quotes the passage. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Which, I'm sorry to do this to you. I think we should just read at least first. Go right ahead. I mean, it's it's so good. It's so good. Read read away. Um, Just starting in verse four here. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It's beautiful. It's it's it beautiful. is. 
The one on there, let's see, where is it? Did you read where it says, keeps no record of wrongs? Where is that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What verse is that? Uh, you just read it, didn't you? Uh, yeah, it's right there in six. It does not, re uh, oh, that's uh, not rejoice in wrongdoing. Let's see. Five. I mean, I just read it, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think five. it's a different translation. It does but, not insist on its own way. Yeah, there was one translation that says it keeps no record of wrong. Any, any of y'all's translations have that? The NIV. the NIV says that, keeps no record of wrongs. I really like that. And, and I've I just, always liked that. I think that, I mean, if you went through Do y'all hear that? Love does not keep a record of what? Wrongs. Did y'all hear that? Raise your hand if you heard that. Okay, I heard it. All right. And, and so, what does that mean? That means if I wrong you tonight, six months from now, do you bring it up in my office to in a meeting that you're having with me? No. Right. That's right. That's right. Okay, I'm just oh, making minute. sure wait we understand. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Peacemaker principles here, right? Right. Well, you just, you, you can bring it up, but you don't bring it up. I said six months from now. Or you, you, when you deal with it and you work through the forgiveness then that's when you don't bring it up anymore. Okay. Because that's one of the signs, right, of forgiveness. When we is to not bring it up anymore. Right. Brandon is ready to go. He's he's locked and loaded. Amen. And, and something to your point, certainly, you know, we see from Matthew 5 that uh, it calls us, if we have something against our brother, or I think that's actually Matthew 18, he says that, you are to go to them. So this is an immediate, and it's a command. It's not a, hey, let me wait a year, stew over this, tell a bunch of people, and then go to, no, no, it's let's go now and settle it and, and, and say my contention to my brother and have him hear it out. And, and, and let's talk through this, and then he's going to forgive me, I'm going to forgive him, he's going to confess, whatever, and we're going to mm -hmm. work through that, and then it's finito, like you were saying. That's the Matthew 5. Yeah. Uh, Be reconciled. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Okay. All right. Hey, that's great. All right. Without love, all of chapter 12 would be as a what? Banging symbol or a lousy gong, Paul says. Yep. With all the gifts, if one does not have godly love, they are what? Useless. Remember that. Useless. Chapter 14, follow after love, verse 1. This is the famous chapter on what? Tongues. And we shall not argue the point. Thank you so much, Dr. Stringfellow, because we would be here for the eternity. Yes. Just state the yes. facts in relation to chapters 12 and 13. So he says, the important gift is prophecy. The word unknown is italicized, which means it was not in the original text. There is no such thing as an unknown tongue. Tongues are what? Existing languages, not previously learned. But the ability to speak in another language was given in the apostolic church only for God's glory and not for man's. Verse 4. The modern-day teaching on tongues is that it is a sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is not Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. The verse most talked about is verse 34. Here, if taken in context, the women were not to speak in tongues in the church. Paul did not change his mind between 1 Corinthians 11:5 5 and this verse. 
<clears throat> the emphasis in chapter 14 is on prophesying, edifying the church, and convicting believers. So all very helpful. Verse 40, but all things should be done decently in order. And I, I, we probably use, I probably use that text. Oh, I mean, it's one of my primary go-to yeah. texts. I mean, I mean, the body of Christ is not one of chaos, right? I mean, the body of Christ is supposed to be ordered. Absolutely. This is supposed to have order, not chaos, not factions, not dissensions, not rivalries. Nothing like that is supposed to be in order and at peace. <clears throat> All right, the resurrection, and we, it is uh, 702, so we need to hurry here. Or, well, we don't need, we're okay. We're okay. We've got, we got yeah. like 10 minutes. All right, now, let me, let me give you an intro on this just right quick. How ironic do you think it is that out of all the letters in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians has the lengthiest teaching on the resurrection? Why do you think that is? Okay, I say that's not a bad answer. I like that answer. Yeah, I like that answer. Jim? That he was already resurrected? No. Oh. Okay. Why? Who talks? Well, no. What I was saying, what I, I was asking, why in First Corinthians? Why? Why in Corinthians? First Corinthians? Would there be such a lengthy teaching on the resurrection? And and uh, and I'm gonna tell you what I think the answer is. Go to, and I'm, I'm, and I'm going I'm to justify it by another text if I can find it now that I've said that. Go to, yes, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. Okay. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And when he says without us, he means the apostolic message. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. Now, he's being very sarcastic uh, in, in, the, in, these, in this uh, rebuke here. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. We reviled, we blessed. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world and refuse out of, of all things. So here is the thought. That those few verses right there are some of the most difficult to interpret in all the New Testament. And this is, this is what decades of scholarship uh, has come to the conclusion of what is going on in 1 Corinthians. And the reason why they had these, um, these uh, spiritual gifts were kind of gone crazy in the church. They believed that the eschaton, what do I mean by eschaton? The end times, like the second coming of Christ and the ushering in of the end times in paradise. The people at Corinthians wrongly believed that that was already there. 
it was already there. Okay? And 1 Corinthians 15, the fact that he is so, that Paul teaches such a clear message about the resurrection is because he is trying to correct them in their misunderstanding of, of the end times. He is saying the end times have not come. Christ has not returned. The end times were not, were not like... I mean, the end times were ushered in by his resurrection, but not as fully as Corinth believes. So Corinth believes that the end time blessings are already what? Already here. Is that true? Partially, but partially not. Yeah. Partially. That's why in, you, you, you hear this terminology in scholarly circles where they say, the kingdom is already, but what? Not yet. It's already, but not yet. We're saints, but yet what? Sinners. Sanctified. Right. Yeah. We, we are a citizen of earth, but we're also a citizen of what? Heaven. So there's like this, this eschatological tension. And so what he's saying is that Corinth had over-realized that. And so that's why 1 Corinthians 15 is, is that, so, so deep. And I think that plays into what he, when he gets to this topic in verse 12, uh, it plays into what he says here. And I, I don't know this. I, I'm not substantiating this for you tonight. I'm just saying from the text, you see verse 12, he says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Um, and I, I think probably that plays right in with this belief that, you know, oh, well, we're already there kind right. of thing. So right. I, I don't know if that's, I'd have to do more research. To be well, honest, and, and we don't know for sure that they're right. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly an interesting thing to think about because you have some groups that, that still believe that today. So, so let's, let's go yeah. through this. So 1 Corinthians 15, concerning the resurrection, Paul begins with the cross in verses 3 and 4. Christ died for our sins, buried, he rose again. Then proofs of his resurrection, verses 5 through 19. And name the one, now name the ones who saw him. Did you, did you follow that in the book? Who, who yeah. wrote those down? So out of those few verses, name the one that saw him. And I'll, I'll go ahead and pull them out there since we're short of time. Cephas, the 12, 500 others, James, all the apostles, and Paul. Those are who saw him or, the, or who Paul said saw them in his, in his letter there, okay? The order of the resurrection, verses 20 through 28, and the order is self-explanatory. The pattern for the features of our resurrection, verses 42 through 50, are seven. So it's sown in corruption. Our bodies are sown in corruption, raised in what? Glory. In corruption. Oh, we, in corruption, sorry. We are sown in what? Dishonor, but raised in glory. What does it mean by dishonor? What happens to us as, as we live? Do we get better looking or worse looking? Worse looking. I started out with, with just a little bit of hair, then I had this full, beautiful head of hair for a while, and now guess what's happening? You're going back. You see what's happening, right? <laughs> it's looking worse and worse every, every week, okay? Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in what? Weakness. Why does he say weakness? Because what happens to us? We die, but we're raised in what? Power, okay? Sown in an earthy body, raised in a heavenly body. Sown in flesh and blood body, raised in a changed body. Sown in a mortal body, raised as an immortal body. So it's incredible vocabulary used here. And it's the, then the towering challenge of Paul is in 58, which says, Good. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in what? We need to shout that from the rooftops and, and remember that in our heart every day that our labor in Jesus is not in vain because sometimes it certainly seems that way. Can you amen that? It certainly seems that way sometimes. <clears throat> 16, 
note when, where, and how much on the collection that we have here. The remainder of the chapter is personal, and Paul's final exhortations and benediction. And uh, note given to the Lord is a gift in Romans 12, 8. It should be willing service for every believer, and that's it. All right? So Paul wrote first about what in the church? Divisions. What was one of the major divisions in the church? Say it again. Yes, worshiping men over, over Jesus. What was the second reason Paul wrote this letter? Correction. Thank you. Name only three things that stand out in your mind about 1 Corinthians. Three things that stand out in your mind. Love, okay. 1 Corinthians 13, very good. How about handing that dude over to Satan that was in that affair with, uh, with, the, with his uh, mother or stepmother? That's, that's huge. 1 Corinthians 5. Head coverings. Head coverings. Thank you. Yeah, let's not leave that one out. Okay, that's it. Thank you so much. Now we'll do prayer. Uh, Nathan, I'm fixing to drop this down, brother. All right. Okay, Marty Luffman. You see him, right? He was in the paper today. Did y'all see that? Marty is fighting the good fight. And Marty, if you're watching, brother, we love you. Y'all wave at Marty if he's watching tonight. Marty, we love you, man. We're still praying for you, brother. Okay, prayer. We know that uh, Deanna Campbell has got two family members fighting for their lives, um, with, uh, infected with COVID. Let's see if I've gotten any more here. Um, oh, yeah, why don't you go ahead and uh, while we're doing prayer, play the video right quick, Nathan. Or you want me to do it? I can do it. You got it? Okay, you play it right quick. Let, let, me, let, me, give a quick, let me give a quick preview. Um, we have a, an opportunity on September the 1st, Wednesday night, September the 1st, to, to have a uh, pre-released showing of Show Me the Father, the new Kendrick Brothers movie here at Malco Theater. The tickets are free. It's first come, first serve, limited seating. I think we've got like 134 or 35 mm -hmm. seats. Uh, and there's a sign-up sheet back there in the back. So when you leave tonight, if you want to go to that movie, be sure and put your, put your name and your family's names on that sheet, okay? All right, go ahead, Nick.